0: Father, we love you,
1: Lord. Thank you for that amazing time of worship. Thank you for the message of that song. We just want to be available, Lord. Whatever you want to do in our community, in our world, in our lives, we're available. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, sorry, time out. Can you guys, I, I never checked. Is this good? Is this, we're good there? Okay, I just had this fear that we would go through the whole thing and it wouldn't happen. All right, we're gonna do that, it was some trauma. (laughs) All right, we're gonna do that prayer one more time and then we'll jump into it. Father, we love you and we thank you. We stand in agreement with the message of that song. We are available. Whatever you want us to do, wherever you want us to go, whatever you want us to say, we are your people, Lord God. Whatever you want us to do in this world, we're available. Uh, In this country, we're available. In our city and backyard and our families, we're available, God. Use us and use this time together for your glory and the good of others. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen and amen. Hey, <clears throat> well, welcome to Journey Church Online. We are so glad that you're here. <clears throat> if you're a first time guest, thank you so much for being with us. We're not sure how you got to our YouTube channel, Facebook channel, church online platform, but we really are glad that you're here. Uh, why don't we put our hands together, and just welcome all of our first time guests. Come on, love to, uh, for you to get to know more about our church and we love to get to know you too. So make sure you, uh, you connect with us. Um, today's a very special uh, Sunday. We're gonna have a very special conversation here today with a few of my friends. And uh, I know a lot of people are asking about reopening and the good news is we've got some great reopening news. And I've been waiting three months to share this reopening news with you, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> We're gonna intentionally delay the announcement for a couple of days. It'll be on our social media, it'll be on email. And the reason why we are going to delay it is because we don't want anything to take attention away from what we're doing here today. Today, we are going to have a conversation on race, hope, anger, and Jesus. And I wanna get right in um, to the conversation um, by sharing a, a personal story and a story from uh, my wife who's in the studio today for the first time. Ooh. What's up, girl? Uh, <laughs> so glad that she's here. Um, I remember the first time that I realized I was Latino. Uh, I was always fair-skinned, and uh, so I didn't really catch on. And it was uh, probably third or fourth grade. I was eight or nine years old. I think that's how old you are in third or fourth grade. Um, and, uh, and I was at a lunch table. And one of my uh, friends looked over and said, um, hey, JJ, do you live in a teepee? And I was like, I don't understand, why, why teepee? And he was like, because Mexicans live in teepees. And I was like, okay, first, I'm not Mexican, I'm Puerto Rican. Uh, second, pretty sure you're thinking about Native Americans. Uh, and thirdly, I don't think they even live in teepees anymore. And uh, he said, well, you know, you live in a Pueblo. And so that was not just the first time I realized I was Latino. That was also the first fight I ever got to in <laughs> school. <laughs> was also in the third and fourth grade. That's my story. My wife shared a story with us the other day as we were reflecting when she was at a, a store. Was it Costco? What store was it you at? Costco? She was at a Costco uh, checkout line with her grandma, Grandma Flora. And, uh, and Liz and I, we usually don't speak Spanish out in public because we don't want people to feel like we're talking about them or anything like that. But Grandma Flora just spoke Spanish. And so Liz was speaking to Grandma Flora in Spanish, the groceries and the shopping and what have you. And as she was speaking to her in Spanish, the gentleman uh, behind her said um, very loud and right to her, why don't you go back to the country that you came from? To which Liz responded, I'm in the country that I came from. <laughs> This is my country, what are you talking about? I'm from Orlando, born and raised. And then she went into the car and cried, cried her eyes out. I don't share those stories to compare. I share those stories to contrast and to clarify that we have not gathered here today to talk about being a racist and being colored. We're gonna talk about injustice and the black community. Uh, My experience was real, and Liz's experience was real, um, but the experience that black people have in America is significant, and it's real, and we don't just want to talk about it. More importantly, we want to talk about our response to it and what we're going to do about it. And uh, i got to start off with some disclaimers before we even jump in. Just some disclaimers. I got three. I got three. Three disclaimers. Disclaimer number one. We do not think that we're going to end racism in 40 minutes. We're not that naive, but we just decided that we're not going to allow what we cannot stop, stop us from doing what we can. And this is what we can do. This is what we can do. So many people get discouraged and hopeless because they can't stop a thing. But just because you can't stop a problem doesn't mean you can't take a step towards the solution. And that's what we're doing today. We're just taking a step towards the solution. Disclaimer number two, even if we nail it today, I mean, even if we say everything the right way, it's like perfectly politically correct and perfectly socially sensitive. Here's the disclaimer. We already know somebody's going to get mad. (laughs) We already, we have accepted it for some people. It's going to be too little. And for others, it's going to be too much. And we're going to do it anyway. (laughs) And, and And this is why we're going to do it anyway. Proverbs chapter 31, verse eight through nine says this. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. We're not going to allow the possibility to be misunderstood to keep us from speaking up. Don't get me wrong, we, 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 we love it when you cheer and it makes us sad when you boo. But like those Olympic athletes who were supposed to be competing at the end of this year, when we're done with this, we're looking at the judges table oh, because it's the only score that counts. And I just know that when we're done, guys, I know that the judge is going to be up with a big old fat 10 because all we came here to do was to be obedient. He's the one that we're doing this for. He says, speak up for those who are suffering injustice. And so that's what we're doing. And disclaimer number three, and this is a big one, it's going to be uncomfortable. It is going to be uncomfortable (laughs) to be here and to be in this conversation and to listen to it at home You're going to be real tempted to change the channel or log off if you haven't already. (laughs) And I just want to encourage you if it gets uncomfortable, Acts 28 was uncomfortable too. Acts 28 is the last chapter in the book of Acts. And it's very uncomfortable if you read it because you don't know whether to be happy or sad. Because it ends with the Apostle Paul preaching the gospel like crazy. But at the same time, he's in house arrest. And so you're not sure how to feel. I'm excited because good news is being preached, but at the same time, someone I love is not experiencing freedom. But that uncomfort, I remember I brought that to my theology professor. I was like, I'm a little uncomfortable with this. He said, the reason why you're uncomfortable, the reason why Acts leaves off on a cliffhanger is because you're supposed to end the story. He said, you're Acts 29. The story is supposed to continue with you. And the reason why you feel uncomfortable, hear me, is because we don't end the story in 40 minutes. The story of this message ends with you. It isn't about what God does in the next 32 minutes. It's about what you do after these 32 minutes are over. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Luke chapter 25, verse 29. If you didn't bring a Bible today, that's okay. You're at home and it's on your screen. And so you can read along with us. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 29. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? I like that Jesus asked him, how do you read it? Because he's acknowledging. (laughs) I like the way Jesus asked him, how do you read it? Because he's acknowledging that there's different ways to read the same passage. It's crazy to me that a person can carry a Bible in one hand, and promote racism on another hand, because you can read it a different way. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, yeah, but (laughs) who is my neighbor? One thing that gets overlooked here is that the expert was right. There was a lot of ways to read the Bible and he read it the right way. Love the Lord, your God and love your neighbor. The problem we find out later is that even though he knew a lot, he did a little. Uh, I'm all for knowledge. I'm all for learning, studying the Bible. I got a a lot of Bible degrees and I'm, I'm all for theology. I love theological conversations. And I would agree with the statement that faith without knowledge is blind. The only thing I would add to that is that it's not a Bible verse, but let me give you one that is. Faith without deeds is dead. Faith without knowledge might be blind, but at least it's living. At least it's breathing. Faith without deeds goes nowhere. And so a lot of people know the right thing, but today's conversation is not about knowing the right thing. Today's conversation is about having the courage to do the right thing. Yeah. The thing that you know, this is where the man dropped the ball. Not that he knew what was right, but that he did not do what was right. And so I've, I want to introduce a word today that is going to serve as a part of the title of our sermon. And it's also going to allow me to communicate really the theme of this this sermon. It's two weeks in a row now I've used the word thesis. Um, The thesis of this sermon, I don't know if you know this, but preachers are legally uh, permitted to invent words. This is is, is common knowledge. Look it up in in the law code. Uh, It's common knowledge. And so the word that I would like to invent today is the word acknowledge. Now you might say, well, pastor, that's already a word. Well, not the way I spell it. Acknowledge. A-C-T. Knowledge. Act knowledge, because today we're going to reiterate over and over again. It's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know. And the title of the message is acknowledge the difference, acknowledge the difference. You know, Christianity requires both parts, loving God and loving people. And if you don't do both parts, we need to redefine it because it's not Christianity. A lot of things need two parts to be a thing. Basketball is one of those things. I saw my son playing basketball the other day. (laughs) I went outside, he was dribbling. You know how people, when they first get a basketball, you know, little kids, he was dribbling. And I was like, he was like, dad, dad. I was like, what's up, buddy? He was like, I'm playing basketball. I was like, "Mm." (laughs) you're not playing basketball. You got one half of what you need to play basketball. You got the ball, but you also need the hoop, also known as the goal. And I think there are a lot of Christians today who are holding on to the basketball. The love for God. They got it and good. I'm glad that you got it. Defend it. Don't let nobody steal it. Guard it. But don't forget the goal. The reason why you got the ball in the first place. What do you do with the love that God has infused into your heart? Don't lose the goal. And here's the goal. Love your neighbor. You can't, you can't love God and just can call it Christianity. There's a second half to it, and it's called loving your neighbor. And my fear is that we would be a church or that Christians would be Christians who are, I don't know another way to say it, but just posers. Don't be that guy in the basketball court. This was me. This wasn't JT because I knew JT when he was younger. He was a legit baller, legit baller. This man right here is a baller. Okay. I was not a baller. But I I showed up to the court with Jays on. I showed up to the court with my headband on. I showed up to the court with my Tony Kukoc number seven jersey because I was trying to be unique. You know, I didn't want to be just 23. You know, so I came out with the seven, you know, and I was just, I just, and I came and people would look at me and they go, man, you looked the part. And when it came time to picking people, I got number seven. And I would get on that court, and after they picked me, they will be so disappointed. <laughs> you don't do what you look like you should do. Yeah. I hope people don't say that about the church. Yeah. Yeah. I hope people don't pick us. Right. Want to be a part of our team because of the things that we say we stand for. Yeah. But then when it comes time to actually stand, we don't stand. Yeah. I would break. My heart, love your neighbor. Now, what does it mean to love your neighbor? Jesus shares a story right after this called the Good Samaritan. If you don't know it, I'll share it with you really quickly. There was a man who was coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was leaving church because Jerusalem was church. And on the way, a band of robbers found him, beat him up, mugged him, robbed him of everything, took his clothes, left him half naked and half dead uh, on the the floor. Uh, Right after that happened, the Bible says a priest walked by, a priest, mind you, and the priest saw the man and walked across the street. Didn't even want to deal with them. After the priest came, a Levite came. A Levite is a worshiper. So this is the worship, the guy who's about to lead worship. He saw the man in the ditch and he walked across the street. And the Bible says, a good Samaritan came, saw the man, took care of his wounds, brought him to an inn, paid the innkeeper to take care of the wounds. And he really just loved on this guy. Now there's two things we have to draw from this. First off, you have to understand the racial implications of this story. Samaritans at the time um, were a mixed race of people that were half Jewish, but not really. And they really were just say they were the black people of the biblical times. They didn't get the same legal coverage. They, people overlooked them. They were seen as so bad. You know what I never noticed before that the author of the story went out of his way to call him the good Samaritan, wow. yeah. but he didn't say the good priest yeah. because priests are good. Yeah. And he didn't say the good Levite. He went out of his way to say the good Samaritan Like that's like saying, I don't like Dominicans, but Pedro's cool. Like, Pedro's my buddy, though. He, he's cool, but I don't like him. He's the good Samaritan. Excuse me? To, to say that is to imply. That's like saying Muggsy Bogues is a short basketball player. Because the, the understanding is that, because most are what? So to say the good Samaritan is to say that the cultural understanding of the time was that, but most, most are bad. Most aren't really. But this one, he was a, he was a good one. Wow but that's not even the takeaway. I need you to understand the the racial, the racial context. But the takeaway is that in that story, Jesus shows us what a neighbor is. The priest thought he was a neighbor and the Levite thought he was a neighbor. You know why the priest and the Levi thought he was a neighbor. They were neighbors because in their eyes to love somebody is to say, I didn't put them there. I'm a neighbor because I didn't put that guy in the ditch. I'm a good person because I didn't put that guy in the ditch and Jesus turns love on his head and he goes, love is not saying, did you put him there? Love is answering the question. Now, what will you do once you see him there? Yeah. What will you do now, you, now that you see him there? And I need to make this point because so many of us, me included, have excused ourselves from the racism conversation because we defend ourselves by saying, I'm not a racist. But loving your neighbor isn't saying, I'm not a racist. Loving your neighbor is saying, okay, but now that you see that there's racism in the world, what will you do now that you see it? Because that's love. It's not that I didn't put them there. It's but now what do you do that they're there? What will you do that they're there? Jesus on this race conversation takes it a little deeper with Samaritans as well. John chapter four, verse four. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. Now the truth is he didn't have to go through Samaria. He could have gone around. In fact, most Jews at the time would add three days to their journey to get to Galilee just so they wouldn't have to walk through Samaria. Wow. They would add three days just to not walk through it. But the Bible says he had to to go through. It's because he had an appointment with somebody, but also it's because of who he was walking with. He was walking with the 12 disciples, the people who were gonna found the future of the church. And I believe that Jesus brought those 12 into Samaria because he wanted them to know, hey, when we get when I go to heaven and you guys build this church, I wanna let you know this church in this world is for everybody. It's for everybody. And so I got to take you and you're going to have to go through their experiences. You're going to have to see how they live. You're going to have to be in places and spaces where not everybody looks like you and believes the things that you believe. And I need you to experience their experience because I died for them too. They were made in my image as well. The church is for everybody. It's crazy that Samaria and Judea were really the same nation, but two different worlds. Here's my first point if we want to bring racial reconciliation, if we want to bring healing, if we want to understand today, we have to acknowledge their world. I'm talking to the non-black community for the majority of this sermon. You're going to need to, I'm going to need to, we're going to need to acknowledge their world. How do you acknowledge their world? How do you go through it? Well, in a perfect world, you could share their skin. Could you imagine that? Sharing their skin, share the skin of a black person and apply for a loan. Share the skin of a black person and join your local YMCA and go for a swim in the pool, see what happens. Share the skin of a black person and get pulled over. Share the skin of a black person and see what life would be like. Fortunately, that's not possible. And so we're gonna have to settle since we can't share their skin today we can at least share their stories. So to help us do that, we have some friends in the audience today—friends of ours, friends of our church, members of our church—who are going to do exactly that. And I'll introduce them to you one by one. First, I'd like to introduce you to my good friend, and I'm glad that I can say that, good friend, Michael Coe. What's up, Michael? What's that? <laughs> we gotta get him on mic. Get him on mic. Um, if you don't know, Michael Coe, uh, Michael Coe is a Super Bowl winner. Won a, a championship with the New York Giants against my, my hated foes, the, uh, the Tampa Bay Patriots. I'm sorry, I mean the, uh, the New England Patriots. And uh, thank you for, um, for beating Tom Brady. I appreciate you, I love you. And, uh, but today we're not here to just talk about your football career. I think it's important that people know um, how accomplished you are and the life that you led. Although your greatest accomplishment is probably locking down that girl right there to your right. <laughs> That's Mrs. Coe, cool. Co. <laughs> Mrs. Coe. And congratulations on Baby Coe on the way. Yeah. Come on, Baby Cole, You can do a baby company, <laughs> right, Baby Coe. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> Michael, thank you for being willing to share your story today. Um, yeah. I think one of the greatest tragedies or one of the greatest misunderstandings of the tragedies when it comes to black Americans is that for many non-black Americans, we think that racism ended with MLK, and and or even worse, that it just started with George Floyd, and Ahmaud Arbery, and for whatever reason, that that I mean, it's has gotten you, you know publicity this and people speaking out about it. But um, the truth is a lot more simpler than that, and that's that it never went away. Right. And uh, you grew up in the south. I did. <laughs> you grew up in the south. And I want to maybe just share a little bit about just where you grew up and then how you grew up. And then also just that experience that you shared with me about even at an early age.
2: Yeah, I, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> Memphis. I'm actually one of five children. So I, I, have, I have three brothers and I, I have two brothers, actually. I'm sorry. It's three boys and it's two girls. I have two brothers and I have two sisters and I am the baby boy. <laughs> so <clears throat> I have a younger sister, but I'm the baby boy. And um, none of them won Super Bowls. So and you none get of them won Super Bowls. Uh, <laughs> that is actually a good point because yeah, we yeah. do uh, talk about that uh, Thanksgiving bragging rights. <laughs> who's a brother athlete? My, both of my brothers did actually play college football, so they were good, but they weren't better than me. So I tell.
3: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Boom, boom.
2: Um, yeah. So that that's my 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 upbringing. Really, I uh, come from uh, a Christian home. My both of my parents are educators, a uh, coach and a, and, a, and a teacher, and. Um, uh, sports was actually uh, a big, big part of, big part of my world. Uh, I'm going to share a story that happened that does have to do starting off with sports. I, I grew up, started playing soccer at an early age, uh, soccer, flag football, everything. And um, at this particular time standpoint in my life, I, I was about, I would say, nine, nine years old. Um, and uh, I was playing up on the level of my soccer team. I you know you at eight, nine and you play 10, 11. So I, I played up um, and I got invited to a, uh, a birthday party uh, by one of my soccer, soccer teammates. Um, I guess it, I was the only black guy. So I was a token black guy on the team. <laughs> so I got the invite uh, <laughs> and uh, it was great. You know, I, I went to the birthday party where we uh, it was in a uh, apartment complex there and on the end and I got it I got invited we're all outside and, and talking and hanging out and um, we we eventually we go upstairs into to the party you know we have cake you play the games and do all that fun stuff that you that you do at a birthday party uh, as a nine-year-old and um, the the party was about to wrap up you know usually at last 30 40 minutes you, the the mom or whoever let the kids just have a good time have a great time so uh, a lot of guys we went downstairs we want to play like captured flag hide and go stick it has a nice little field behind there so we were all excited I was all excited to to do that and um, I began to walk to the front with the rest of the kids some of them went went to the side and there's the gentleman came he was about I would say the guy was probably I think he said he was like twenty he was like twenty 20 years old. Um, and he comes up to, to the group or to me, and he told the mom there that they shouldn't let me play with other kids. And he said that if you play, those kids over there are gonna beat you up. They had been plotting to hurt me ever since they saw me walk into the apartment come into the party. Um there was a group of teenagers probably about 15, 16 years old. They were probably 10th to 12th grade. Obviously, I have no idea who these guys are. Uh, I was not in my familiar part of town. And and then they, they, they made that, that clear. Um, so shortly after that, those, those kids, those teenagers circled made a circle around me on their bicycles, asking me what I was doing here. Who are you? Why are you here? Get out of here. Obviously, yelling other obscenities to me at that, at that point. Um, it is hard reflecting back now that I'm a mature man um, and try to tap into what I was feeling like at that moment as, an, as a nine-year-old, uh, confused. Um, scared. Uh, obviously, no familiar faces. Other kids were playing. And it was just kind of me and one other kid there and, and, and the mom at that point. And obviously, that escalated for a while, for a little bit, little bit longer. And the mom is like, Get out of here, you know. And the kids is like, You know, the older kids are telling me I needed to leave. So she, she grabs me and takes me into the apartment complex and into their apartment. Locks the door, and I had to sit. I remember they, there there's a kitchen, and there was a little window there. Sit out the window, watch the guys play. Um, I had to call my house. This is pre-cell phones for people that don't know. There's no cell phones. You had to know everybody's phone number by heart that time. <laughs> uh, and the phone's attached to the wall. So... Um, <laughs> I, I called called my house couple I believe several times and finally my oldest brother picked up the phone and I told him that the party's over you got to come get me you got to come get me and um those kids were still out there shouting at me and uh I it's really hard for me to tell this story because now that I know that I'm going to be a dad that's why I'm trying really hard here <laughs> to know that your child is in a position where you can't protect them, that you can't be there for them, that somebody wants to do harm to them for no reason. A nine-year-old and you have 17-year-old kids planning to beat you up for no reason, how do you explain that yeah. to them?
1: Yeah.
2: So I told myself I wasn't going to cry, but it it provokes this to me because I never want my daughter to feel that. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes the realist situation, it, it it makes it more real for me because... I don't have any control of what happens when she leaves my house. Mm-hmm. I don't have any control how people might view her. And for the longest time, this story has been more or less status quo in my life. Yeah. So I haven't really dealt with how I was feeling in that moment. But eventually my brother came, my oldest brother came and he walked up to the door and walk me outside and by this time I mean, walked me to the car, but by this time those kids were just standing across the street lined up on their bikes, waiting till we left. Um, by this time and the sun was about setting and, um, that's something obviously that I've, I've never, never forgotten.
1: Thank you so much yeah. <clears throat> for being able to share that. Um, when we first talked about this conversation, I was like, hey man, would you mind sharing a story? And we were like, what, we, had, we had to have like a follow-up phone call because you kept coming back, but like, but which one? I don't want people to think that this was one thing that happened to you when you were nine years old. Right. This is, that is one of a life, of a lifetime. Um, I can't imagine that weight, that burden of carrying that your whole entire life even having been a professional athlete, making money, all of that still, still there. What's it like? How does it feel? And it's a dumb question, but we need to bring them into the world. People jump into that story and they go, man, that sucks. But every year to have four or five stories like that for 36 years, bring us a little into that. Um,
2: I would say that It's very difficult because as, as a black people, a lot of times as a, as a culture, we're kind of taught to turn the other cheek. So almost suppress how you feel because they're not going to understand. Michael, you can't react because they're not going to understand. They're going to put you in jail. It doesn't matter what they did. Mm-hmm. They're only going to see what you did. Mm-hmm. and. For for me to carry that, that weight sometimes, I'd, it's like a 40 or 50 pound vest that you carry around on your back every day yeah. because you don't know how somebody is going to perceive you, yeah. how do you look, maybe my temperament is off and somebody might think I'm a threat as I work out, not as much as I used to, but <laughs> I, I work out and... The hard part is because that's constantly on your mind because you can't escape that. You have to think about what you're going to wear Yeah. Uh, because how are people going to perceive that yeah. if I'm going to do business or am I going to walk into a mm-hmm. bank today? Mm-hmm. So that pain from that incident, it never leaves because you relive it
1: yeah.
2: every day. And some people ask me like, Mike, do you, you read the post? How does that make you feel? I live it every day. Mm -hmm. It's nothing different about it. It's just that
1: new people are seeing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, You told me that um, what you uh, wanted—it came from you. You wanted to be seen. Yeah, yeah. Can you explain to our audience what is that? What do you mean by that when you say I want to be seen? Me saying as
2: a black man that I, I want to be seen. Um, I just... I do want people to acknowledge that is it's different. Yeah. I do want people to... It's okay to say that I'm black. Acknowledge it. Don't tell me you don't see color. That gets me more upset. Acknowledge that that is my skin color. That's that's fine. Yeah. That's that's who Jesus made me. I'm I'm a black man. I I get that. Okay. You get that. So don't tell me you don't see that. Because yeah. when you say you don't see that, then you're negating my pain. Yeah. You're negating my existence because yeah. you're saying right now I don't see color. Yeah. So you see nothing.
1: Yeah.
2: None of the trials that okay brought to light. You know Marcus Garvey, uh, Malcolm X. Any of you you don't see that. Yeah. And so that kind of Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? It's one of those things you kind of have to swallow again. Yeah. Um, when you see me, I want you to s- literally see me just so you see my color, but see me, yeah. meaning I'm I'm somebody's brother. Yeah. I'm somebody's uncle. In about six weeks, I'm going to be somebody's father. Yeah. I'm somebody's friend. I'm a nephew. Yeah. I'm an uncle too. And so when you see me, not only just see me in my color, see that,
1: yeah,
2: I would say, when I say "See me, see yourself, man.
1: yeah,
2: I'm a human, yeah. so the fact that you can deny me hu- human, human rights, yeah. or your thought goes through, well, that's not me,
1: yeah
2: no, when you see me, see yourself, yeah, that's good. see me, that's my good. parents love me just as much as your parents love you. That's good. I have a wife that loves me,
1: yeah,
2: I have a daughter that's going to love me, yeah. I have a mom and dad, grandparents that love me. So know that about me. Don't see if I'm worked out, I'm I'm an athletic build or I'm a threat to you. Don't let that be the first thing that you see. See me as your brother. That's That's what I mean. That's what I want when acknowledge that and see me.
1: Thanks, Mike. Love you, man. Thank you. Shannon recover from that. <laughs> I know. Um,
3: I'm sitting here trying to support Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> Shannon Green, wife of Emery Green. What's up, Emery? How you doing, man? Um, and uh, mother of two beautiful girls, Sydney, and, and I presented your baby. Iman. And Iman. Wonderful, beautiful girls. Um, also an Emmy Award winner. Let's go. I told you they don't know Shannon, they don't know. <laughs> know. They need to know, we're gonna let them know. Um, what is it like being a black parent of a black child in America today?
3: So I'm on the other side of that. I have two daughters and actually this week I had the conversation about wow. racism because there is a difference between talking to your children about race versus the institution of racism. Yeah. Those are very difficult conversations yeah. to have. Yeah. Um, and actually it started earlier this year when she learned about Martin Luther King. Um, she asked a question I wasn't expecting, which was, well, how did he die? We don't think about that. We think about how he lived and we teach, you know, his teachings about equality and justice. But when you're trying to tell a six-year-old why he died, then you have to explain the other side of it. Mm. So, and I was caught off guard because <laughs> she's very smart yeah. and she has a lot of questions. So then I told her, I said, well, someone hurt him because of the color of his skin. Okay, well, who was that person? It, I had to tell her, well, it was a white person who hurt a brown person. Then she said, well, is a white person going to hurt me because I'm brown? Mm-hmm. So I had to sit with that and come back and talk to my husband. And I said, I didn't know how to continue on the conversation. Um, I mean, I had some de-escalation tactics to tell her, well, you know good white people, not all white people are bad white people. Um, But she wanted to know more about the psychology behind it and why's, and these are hard to have nuanced conversations with your children about racism. Um, And so with what's happened with George Floyd, uh, we've tried to shield her from a lot of that, But, you know, the news is on. It's everywhere. It's hard to completely shield your children when we live in an information age. So she asked me, you know, well, what's going on? Um, She saw the protests on TV one day. Um, And at that point, I wasn't ready to talk about it because here's the other side of it. You're parenting through your own trauma. We're traumatized right now. And I have to process for me and then I have to process for her. Wow! So I wasn't able to talk about it right then. I distracted and then I had to, you know, deal with that. And then I came back to it um, actually a few days ago and I initiated the conversation. Um, And I asked her, I said, so what do you know about what's going on? Um, and she told me, you know, just little tidbits about, well, I know there's some people on TV doing things and I had to tell her why, why this was happening. People are fighting against injustice Mm -hmm. because a man was hurt. And then I had to tell her by a police officer. Mm -hmm. Then she says, why would a police officer hurt somebody? They're supposed to help people. So there again, you're trying to explain nuance, of, okay, not all police officers right. are bad police officers, but there are some police officers that are bad people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's hard. It's hard to have all of that conversation with yeah. her. But, but we have to talk to our kids about that yeah. because I have to empower her with knowledge and truth because what I don't wanna do is try to do the bubble effect yep. of just saying, oh, I'm going to keep all the bad stuff out. And then something happens to her, and then she's devastated. Right. Because I've set up her world right. to think, oh, everything's fair, right. everything's just. Right. Um, so having to explain devastation to your child, that there are people in the world that are going to reject you yeah. because of the color of your skin, yeah. that's not pleasant for a parent. Um, but those are the things that you have to do as a black parent. Nobody wants to do that, but you have to do it because you have to prepare them. But I will say there was a happy ending to the story. Um, So I brought up the conversation about Martin Luther King again. I said, do you remember when we talked about this earlier this year? Do you remember when you read the book about Harriet Tubman? Um, This is what people are still fighting for. And this is when I I almost had a moment, I almost cried, I was like, yes, they're listening. She said, well, I remember listening to the stories, but it's better to learn from the stories. Wow! My six-year-old said that. Come on. And so what that taught me was, sometimes we're afraid to have these conversations with our kids, yeah. but they are wise, they oh, are yeah. smart. Yeah. And what you put in them, they're, they're receiving it. Yeah. So don't be scared to have those conversations because this cannot just be a conversation that black parents are having with their kids. Yeah. All parents All need parents. to be having these conversations so with their kids. There's
1: actually a resource. It's on the link at the bottom to have a conversation with your kids. It's a book called God's Very Good Idea. Pastor Jenny put me onto it. And it's a book about race and racial equality and how we're all made in God's image. So if you're interested in that book, you can go get it. I never heard it that way before. You're parenting through your own trauma. Right. I had, when you said that I had an image of a medic on a battlefield, who's like, there's bullets coming at him. And while he's trying on one hand to not get shot, he's got to take care of somebody that he loves right. and get that person up. Zane is starting to see everything that's happening too. He told me he told there's an idea the other day. I was, he said when I go to school because he's homeschooled, He said when I go to public school, I think I want to wear a costume. I said why? He said because people will bully me if because I'm brown. Oh. And I was just like, and again, not to compare to contrast, but still like that that it guts you. Oh, it guts you. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. you can't. Because you can't lie.
3: Right.
1: You can't lie. So how you, the so you need to coach me. Um, um, when it took we, me some
3: days to get there. Well, tell me
1: how, how it went. Uh, when we first had like a, we had like a pre-meeting on this with Michael and you and Elise. And uh, after our conversation, the whole message changed. And I'm so glad it did. One of the things you correctly corrected me on was when I said, Shannon, I want you to share your story. Michael, I want you to share your story because so many people don't know. And you said, well, pastor, you said it real respectful, but also like, chill out. (laughs) You said, they know, people know. How can you not know? People don't acknowledge. And I was like, wow. Can you explain the difference between what we know and what we acknowledge?
3: So originally when we were talking about this, you were talking about awareness. Mm -hmm. Awareness is having the data. The Mm -hmm. knowledge, like you spoke about, Um, to acknowledge is to own the data. Mm. And I think a lot of people don't want to own what they know because it requires them to act. Come on. And that's why there has to be a difference in this conversation that we're having about about racism. Thank you. But we have to move to that next step and act, as you
1: said. We got to act. We got to act. Thank you so much for sharing. I know that's not easy. Um, Elise, Elise Coe. Uh, so grateful for you and for your life. And you are a good friend of my wife and of our family and in a very unique position because you are in an interracial marriage. Um, your husband, he's black. Yep. And you are not, not black, nope. <laughs> you're not, not black. Um, and when we talk about acknowledging and, and, and acknowledging their world, mm-hmm. I was so excited for you to be a part of this conversation because I thought, I bet she's got some great insight on how to acknowledge their world. And so what can you tell us about what, first off again, congratulations on the baby. Thank you. I'm so happy. <laughs> what can you tell us about what your experience has been like really becoming a part of, of a black family now and yeah. that, to know that your baby is gonna have different hair yep, and it's gonna have different color skin.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, what, what's it like? How have you been able to 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 get into their world and yeah learn.
4: yeah um, well I would I would be lying if I said it wasn't new this wasn't a new experience for me um, I Michael and I have had many arguments over this in the four years of knowing one another uh, because I was always defensive I would say I'm not a racist why are you saying this is a race thing this has nothing to do with race like I was I felt like the entire white race and what they've done to black people was on my shoulders. And, but I never owned a slave. I never, I'm not racist, you know? So we had arguments after arguments after arguments about this until just recently. So I'm not going to say that I got it right, right away. Um, But I'm thankful for what has happened. Uh, Michael and I have had now really long conversations and I stopped putting the wall up. And he made a great analogy to me just a few weeks ago, and he said, I know that you have been hurt by every guy you ever dated. Been cheated on, physical abuse, I know that about you. When I married you, I took on that burden. Wow. I now know that there are certain things I can't say, or maybe I had to keep my phone out just wow. so you feel secure. But he didn't cheat on me, they did. Wow. And when he said that, I was like, I'm so sorry. Like I now take responsibility. Wow. I now know that when I said I do to him, I bear that burden of his pain. Yeah. And when he goes out at night during the day, I don't know if he's going to come home. I'm fearful. Um, I drive a lot. I don't know if you guys noticed, but a lot of times I'm in the driver's seat. There's a reason for that. Wow. Cause I know if we get pulled over, it may be bad. Wow. I know when he goes out if he's with his fraternity brothers and he says he'll be home at 7 and I don't hear from him, I'm calling. I'm not calling because I think he's up to anything bad. I'm calling because I'm afraid he's dead. Wow. And that's something that I now take on and I now take the responsibility. I will never say now that that's not my responsibility. It is my responsibility. He yeah. can't heal himself. We as a white race need to heal this pain. Yeah, we need to heal them, and we need to stop saying we're not racist. That's not my responsibility. No, it is. Yeah, and now with with the baby coming, and it's again, we're, we're so sensitive now because of it. But knowing that there's a hundred percent chance that our baby girl is going to feel some type of hurt or pain because of the color of her skin. Yeah, it breaks me, and I'm relying on. My my sisters in Christ, and I have such a great diversity of um, friends and women around me that are going to help me along this journey. But I will say, my wall is finally down. Yeah. And I see him. Yeah. And I have to create a safe environment for him now. Yeah. He wears a mask all day, every day. I don't. I will never claim to understand that. Yeah. But I know when he comes home and walks through our door, I, he needs to feel safe. Yeah. And the way that I do that is through asking questions, being sensitive to him. If he's upset about something, don't immediately say, well, babe, it's not a race thing. No, it is. Yeah. Tell me about that. When before I wouldn't, I'd be like, stop making everything about race, but no, it is. Yeah. And I've come to that conclusion recently.
1: You said something really key. You said, I'm gonna bear it even though I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. It's really a gospel principle. Jesus modeled it on the cross when he bore our sins. It's called forbearance. So even though I didn't do it, I'm willing to help bring the healing in the process. I bear that burden. That's so good. Thank you for sharing. I wanna, I wanna pivot. I know where time is, but you wanna stay with this. Because I know there's a lot of people asking, okay, I, 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 th- I feel like I'm starting to acknowledge that we live in two different worlds, but now what can I do? And this is a part I'm really excited to help you with. If you're taking notes, I wanna give you two things right now. Number one, you can acknowledge your bias. Number one, but it's actually the second point of the sermon. <laughs> acknowledge their world. Acknowledge your bias. Acknowledge your bias. John chapter four, verse 26 to 30. I am he, said Jesus. He's speaking to a Samaritan woman. Remember the racial implications of the Samaritan woman. And he's about to, as a pastor, I get so excited because he's about to that point where he's like, would you like to receive me as your Lord and Savior? Like he's, <laughs> he's right there, but I need you to see what happens. Catch it. I am he, Messiah. You don't have to wait any longer. I'm right here. I'm right here. Just then, just when it was about to go down, the disciples came back. They were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of a woman. What kind? Samaritan. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. So the woman took the hint and left. (sighs) This close to the prayer of salvation, this close to coming home and the disciples messed it up for Jesus. Not because of what they said, but because of what they showed. Ooh, I need to preach to you right now because we're all saying the right thing. Now we're all posting. We all got the black Instagram thing and we're all saying, and we're all saying, and we're saying good. But a lot of people are asking now, what do I do after I've said it? Now analyze what are you showing? Because not what you're saying, what you're showing is that's called it. It's called your bias. What are you showing? And let me tell you something about bias, we all have it. White people got bias, black people got bias, Puerto Rican people got bias. We all got bias, we just don't acknowledge that we have it. And to prove it to you, I'm gonna show you one real popular common bias we have. It's called the right hand bias, the right hand bias. See this cup right here? Do you know who made this cup? You don't know, I know who made this cup. Starbucks made this cup. You know how I know? Because when I hold it in my hand, The brand looks at me. You know why the brand looks at me? Because the handle is on this side. This cup was made for right-handed people. If I were left-handed, you would know, but I wouldn't know. Right hand. Uh, Pledge allegiance to the United States. Everybody, pledge allegiance to the flag. Hmm, that's funny. I wonder why nobody went like, pledge allegiance to the flag. Salute. Let me see a salute real quick. Wow, there you go again. Right here. But you know what really gets me? Michael, real quick. People are going to be so upset because we're about to break social distancing. But you good? I'm good. All right. I won't touch my eyes after this. Okay. Or hug. Shake my hand. Shake my hand. Look at Michael shaking my hand. This is a great, make it a great shot right here. This isn't a race (laughs) statement. This is just shaking hands. Look how we went. I went like this and he went like that. Why are we shaking hands like this? Because this is the way you shake hands. But what you don't know is that Michael's a lefty. Shaking hands this way is not natural to Michael, but he has to suppress who he is to fit into my world, because I'm a righty. He can't be who he is. He has to put himself behind. And that's not the bias. That's the reality. The bias is I never even knew that I was right-handed living in a right-hand world. Now, let me ask you this question. Thanks a lot, Michael. Do I think that all right-handed people somewhere had a conference 2,000 years ago and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Let's all right-handed people. Let's let's just conspire against the left-handed people. Everything that we do is going to be right-handed. We got to do it this way. We got to make sure that our kids don't mix with their kids. We can't have ambidextrous babies (laughs) rising up and overtaking the world. We'll lose our spot. And so do I think that there was malice implied? No. But here's the reality, right-handed people built the world for right-handed people because they built a world that fit them. We all have a bias and we all build our world to fit ourselves. Bias is not the problem. I don't even want you to change your bias. I just don't want your bias to become your compass. A compass is something that finds the magnet and then it gets pulled to what it is. Don't be drawn by your bias understand that you're biased and then make the changes that you need to because you're biased. Oh, how do I know that I'm biased real easy? Pull out your cell phone. And now I want you to imagine that your contacts list was not divided alphabetically, but racially. Um, What would it look like? Now, let me tell you something. If you're Puerto Rican, and the majority of the people in your phone book are Puerto Rican, does that make you a racist? No, that just means you're right-handed and you built a world for right-handed people. If you're white and all you have, the majority of your friends are white, does that make you a racist? No, but that means you're right-handed and you built a world around you that is comfortable to your bias. When you understand your bias, then you have to go out of your way to change your bias. Here's my point. Now that you know it, what will you do with it? How will you act knowledge it? If you're an employer, now that you know that you have a bias and don't say that you don't because we all do. But now that you know that you do, how does that change your hiring practices? Now that you know your bias, how does that change who you pay more? How does that change who you interview? I'll tell you, I got so much respect for Shannon and and for Mike and Elise, and especially Shannon and Mike because they go to Journey Church. And if you've never been, I don't wouldn't say we're a black church like and you said, well, there shouldn't be black churches, should be white churches. Martin Luther King said the most segregated hour of the day was 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And that has not changed 30 years, 40 years, 50 years later. It's still the reality. But when they came, they fought the bias to be with people who look like me. They went out of their way. And Shannon said, and I don't mind doing that. I just want someone else to do it, too. If I'm gonna fight my bias to be around people that don't look like me, I would just love it if other people would fight their bias to be around people. I'm just so grateful for anybody who comes to our church. Dear white people, thank you for coming to Journey Church. My God, if you are white, you come to Journey Jenny, I love you, girl. Thank you. You don't have to, because you don't have to, because it would be so much more comfortable for you to be at a place where everybody looks like you, because it's, it's where you're drawn. It's your, your compass. It's your bias. But when you know that you have that bias... You gotta go out of your way to change your bias. Listen, I don't want you to feel guilty. I just want you to take responsibility.
5: Wow. Yes.
1: And that's a big difference. There's a picture that's gonna show up on the screen right now. We'll send it to the tech people. But there'll be a picture that'll show up on the screen right now. It's of my son Justice in Ethiopia. He's got his arms around his brothers. Sinat and Yepsira. Sinat and Yepsira, And they pen pals and they talk and they chat and uh that's one picture. We couldn't find the other picture, but there was another picture of him surrounded by about 30 little black kids in a, at a school in Ethiopia. And he's the one fair skinned, long hair. And my son Zane looked at that picture and he said something that broke my heart. Mind you, Zane is like the darkest person in our family. He said something, this was about a year ago. He said, Justice, were you scared? Why would he be scared? He said, are you scared being around all those kids that don't look like you? Now here's what you have to understand. We are not racist. We don't talk bad about black people. We have black people in our house all the time. We have brands, all this thing. But what is it about the world that could tell a six-year-old that black people are dangerous? Just the world. Am I responsible for his worldview? No, I didn't create it. Am I responsible to change it? Yes. yes. You might not be responsible for this worldview, but now that you know, we all got a responsibility to change it. It's not about being guilty. Nobody wants you to say you're sorry. It's about what we do with that now. What do we do with that now? Here's my final point and we'll close here. Acknowledge their world, acknowledge your bias and acknowledge your power. Acknowledge your power. Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So many people today, I think, feel powerless. Don't know what to change. Don't know how to change it. Can't do it. Just one person. I got great news for you. If you want to change everything. Are you ready? Great news. Great news. After you acknowledge your bias and you make that shift. Great news number one. You have the power. The Holy Spirit's living in you. You've got power. And great news number two, you don't have to change the world. You just got to change your world. Yeah, he said, to the end of the earth. But it didn't start there. It said, change Jerusalem, where I'm living, then Judea, then Samaria, and then the ends of the world. I, I want to shape a better world for black people, Samaria. But I might only do that if I start to fix my world first. My heart, my mindset, my bias, I got to work on me first. So here's four things you can do that you have the power to do. They all start with P. They'll come across on the screen. Write them down if you're taking notes because you can do these things. Number one, you can influence policy. You can find out the candidates that you're voting for and and what's happening, what's going on in your city, police brutality reforms and things of that nature. Do the research, get educated and, and vote, influence policy. Number two, you can expand your pool of information. You know what? The worst, you know what makes bias worse? When you decide beforehand that you're only gonna listen to one news station. Because yeah. all we do is reinforce that bias by who we hear. Yeah. If you're a diehard CNN person, please put on Fox News every once in a while. Expand your pool of it. If you're a diehard Fox News person, please put on CNN. If, if, you're, if all you do is listen to the same voices every day, you, you, that bias is going to be reinforced. Expand your pool of information. Get educated on the topic. There's another link um, below uh, to a talk from T.D. Jakes, who speaks in great lengths on, uh, on, on slavery and, and racial injustice throughout America. You can just click on the link below. It's, under, it's in the description. Also, a great book uh, by a pastor called Miles McPherson. The book is called The Third Option. It's, these are great resources to continue the learning and take the conversation from here. Explain your pool of information. Number three, people. Who are the people around you? Because you can change that. You can get new people into your circle. People who don't look like you, don't act like you, and you can go out of your way to do that. So expand your people. And number four, I want to end here, prayer. I want to be clear, I don't think prayer is the only thing to do. But I would bet my life that it is the most important thing that we can do. Why? Because this is not just a legislative issue. You're not gonna outlaw hate. You're not gonna outlaw prejudice. You're just not gonna do it. We need the Holy Spirit to come in our hearts and change our hearts. And so we're gonna pray today. we got three prayers coming your way. The first prayer is for our non-black audience, Latino, white, Asian, and all the other ones that I've missed. If you are non-black, I want you to help me by putting your right hand on your heart. And we're gonna ask the Lord to empower us that his Holy Spirit will change our hearts. We're gonna start right here. Do we wanna change the world? Yeah, but we're gonna change Jerusalem first. Right here, we're gonna start with change. Let's pray this prayer. Father, we thank you and we love you. We give you all the glory and the honor. We thank you for this conversation and this talk. God, our hands are over our hearts because we understand that if change is gonna happen, it's gonna to have to come through us. And we ask that you would change our hearts, change our lives, change the way we see black people, change the way our biases, change our prejudices, change the way that we lean, the way that we make friends, the way that we neighbor people. Change us, God, because when we change, our world changes. Holy Spirit, we submit our lives to you. We are available. We want you to bring revival, but we want you to do it in us first. We want you to bring change, but we want you to bring it in us first. Because honestly, it's the only thing we can change is ourselves. It's the only thing we can change. So we acknowledge that we're not doing everything that we can do and we wanna do more. Change me, the way I see people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Secondly, and I've asked Pastor Jenny to help us. We wanna do a special prayer for the black community so much hurt, so much pain. I think about my first fight in the fourth grade, and that was because of one time. Can you imagine carrying that for centuries? The trauma being passed down, parent to child, parent to child, parent to child. At some point, there's tragedy fatigue. You become numb to what's happening, the hurt. My God, He's big enough to heal it. And And so we're gonna pray for healing, that God would help restore and and make right and bring joy and hope so you can live life the way life was intended to live full in Christ Jesus. Pastor Jenny, would you do us the honor of leading this prayer?
5: Yeah. Father God, we thank you for this atmosphere in this place today, Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity to be here, to have this conversation. But God, I just pray on behalf of the non-black community, my white friends, my Latino friends, and everybody else, God, we say right now that we acknowledge what's happening. We see you. Father God, reveal to us, for those who don't see yet, reveal it to them right now. Holy Spirit, come over them. Reveal to them, we see you. We hear you now more than ever, and we're sorry that we didn't see you. We're sorry it's taken so many horrific acts for us to get to this place. Father God, we stand for them now because Jesus stood for everyone. Yes. Jesus left no one behind and yes. so we stand. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will change hearts today, that you will reveal hearts today. Father God, I pray over the black community. I pray for the black mother who's lost her son. I pray for the black father who didn't live past the age of 40. I pray for the parents who have to have those conversations with their children. Father God, I pray for the black people that have to sit right now in despair, for the numbness to these horrific acts that have to continue to happen that they have to suppress their emotions to be able to get by. Father, God, forgive us all. Yeah. Jesus, I pray that this is not just a moment in time, but this is the time of change, yes, Lord. God, that we are going to turn. Yes, Lord. I say that now, God, we turn. Yes, and I pray for all of these things yeah. in the name yeah. of Jesus, Jesus, the Son of the God of the universe, a man of color that was sent to this earth, that died for every single one of our sins, every single mistake, our iniquities, that man of color died for us so that we can live and walk in relationship with you, God. That's the man's name that I pray in, in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen, amen. In that same breath and that same opportunity, we do wanna turn our eyes to the spiritual and the eternal Maybe you were listening to this conversation. This is the first time you really have heard that Jesus is for black people. Maybe in your mind, Jesus was always white. Or maybe you were white and you're starting to think about the situations that we've had to grow up in or you've had to grow up in and raise him. In. Something inside is you say, I need more. I need Jesus. This Christianity, if it's like this, if this is what Christianity is, loving all people everywhere, then that's what I want. If that's you, I wanna give you an opportunity to make this prayer today. Jesus, I'm ready to invite you into my heart. If you need a heart change, and you've never made that prayer, Jesus, live in my heart. This is your opportunity right now. So to the thousands of people who are watching online, we pray that uh, right now, when I say three, if that's you, you wanna make that decision to invite the Lord Jesus into your heart, to do all the transforming work and to do all the restoring inside of you, then just raise your hand right where you are at home, all over when I say three, shoot your hand in the sky that's you, you want Jesus in your heart. One, two, three. Right now, go ahead and raise your hand. Raise your hand. Go ahead. Come on, I see it in my spirit. I know there's people all over making decisions right now. If that's you, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me for my sins. I receive you into my heart. I wanna start living a brand new relationship with you so that together we can change this world. We can end racial injustice. We can bring healing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at and if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.